good morning and welcome to uh, Grace Bible Church this morning. It's always, it's always good. It's always good to gather with other believers. Uh, just this past week, I had a, a discussion with some folks uh, on social media, and they were saying that online church is just as good as meeting in person. And to which I was thinking, well, I can't kiss my wife online, but okay. But according to them, their experience is that online church is a viable and potentially permanent alternative to meeting in person considering the pandemic. You know, it's hard to argue something that is experienced, is it not? It's especially true when many folks would rather spend less than an hour on Sunday morning listening to a message that makes them feel good. And really, to put it even more bluntly, I'm concerned that folks ha- who have little regard for the gathering, uh, for gathering with the saints, have truly, I'm concerned that they've truly experienced the presence of a holy God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I I'm concerned that they have precious little understanding of what it means to physically gather with other Christian believers for the purpose of for the purpose of worship. Just ask Christians in other countries where it is unlawful to assemble. Uh, countries such as uh, China under the Chinese Communist Party. We even discussed it this morning in the men's group. Uh, they cannot gather unless they toe the line, unless they remove the parts of what they believe that don't line up with the party line. These people will risk their livelihoods and even their lives for the sake of the gathering. And for many years in the United States, we've been given the freedom to assemble as churches. This is a freedom that we should not take for granted Now, considering recent events, I mentioned them a little bit last week, these events which I believe threaten our freedoms, I felt it necessary this morning to address the the arrest of James Coates in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, I had fully prepared... Uh, yesterday afternoon, I had fully prepared my sermon in Ephesians, but the Lord began to impress upon my heart that we needed to talk about this pastor's arrest. It really started earlier in the week. As As I began to read more about what was going on, I continued to prepare my sermon in Ephesians, but in my mind I was thinking, should how should I address this? How should I go about it? Well, yesterday, as I was preparing my pre sermon remarks, the words began to flow. My thoughts began to flow out on paper. And I really felt like that I needed to. At first, I was just going to address the situation and go into Ephesians and, and preach what I could in Ephesians. That's what I had prepared. But I really felt like as time went on and I approached Phil, I, I felt like that I needed to, to treat this more fully. So what we're going to do is we're going to address the situation in Alberta. We're going, to, we're going to give a biblical response. And then I want to direct us in corporate pray, prayer for this pastor and for his church and for his family and for the nations of, of Canada and, and the United States. We're at a crossroads. I'm, I'm 
certain of it. We're at a crossroads. Now, last week I briefly mentioned the first arrest of James Coates, the teaching pastor at Grace Life in Edmonton, Alberta. He had been told previously uh, last year to stop gathering as a church in observance of the local COVID-19 restrictions. Now, just to explain briefly, he and the church at Grace Life Edmonton, they had previously, just like we did back in the spring, they stopped meeting. They did not physically gather until June. We actually started gathering here, just to put it in perspective, in May. Mother's Day was our first day back, first Sunday back. They started meeting again in June, and they met through the summer. Uh, they had one incident uh, where they had uh, a, a three or four cases. I don't remember how many exactly. I'm working off memory at the moment. And they stopped gathering for two weeks in order to address that situation. They addressed it. No more sp spread within the community of the church. And they began to meet again. Well, Fast forward to the fall, or to later in the fall, early winter, uh, then it became, began to be a problem. And the church continued to meet in defiance of the government regulations. Pastor Coates was fined for exceeding occupation limits in December. The Alberta Health Services ordered the church to close in January. Then... Pastor Coates was arrested and charged in early February for the contravention of the Public Health Act. Specifically, he was arrested and immediately released for unlawful assembly because of the COVID-19 rules. Now, just to let you know, Alberta has, a, has restricted businesses and churches to 15% capacity. 15%. They've also, just to fully let you know, they've also limited outside gatherings to 10 if they are masking and social distancing. So, so clearly these measures are rather strict by anybody's measure. So last Sunday, after, so he was arrested and and. And released. So last Sunday, after his first arrest and release, Pastor Coates gathered the church and he preached again, again in defiance of the restrictions. On this past Tuesday, he voluntarily turned himself in. It is my understanding from everything that I've read that he was carried off in hand and ankle cuffs. He was given a hearing in which he stood alone with, without his family. His lawyer was able to join via Zoom call but was not allowed to be with his, physically with his client standing before the judge according to or due to COVID-19 restrictions in Alberta, specifically Edmonton. According to his wife, Erin, the hearing didn't go very well. Uh, the, a subsequent hearing was scheduled to set his court date, and it is my understanding at this point, I haven't heard anything updating this, that he will be due in court again on February 24th which will be, uh, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday this week. As far as I can tell from everything I've read, there are no current plans to release him. His wife has said that he could be remanded 
until full trial sometime in March. Last I heard, he is being held in isolation. So he's not allowed to be in general population, not allowed to be around anyway. I, I, I assume, I, I don't know that that may be due to COVID restrictions as well, um, but I'm not sure about that. I do know that his family are not allowed to visit him in jail. The Crown has called him a danger to, health, to the health and safety of Albertans. Specifically, he was charged with two counts of contravention of the Public Health Act and charged for failing to comply with a condition of his undertaking under the criminal code. That is according to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Now, it should be noted, I need to note, that he was offered release on bail if he promised not to hold services for the duration of the lockdown. At least that's my understanding of the offer. According to James's wife, the judge gave that offer because he didn't want to make him a martyr. Now, the reaction of the larger community in Edmonton and in Alberta, the province, has been interesting. Obviously, as we've seen here in the United States, there are folks on both sides of the divide. Many believe the lockdown is justified, while others believe that the rules are draconian. One newspaper article I read states the following. It's pretty interesting, this newspaper. I thought I would read this article to you. It's, it's fairly short. It says that if you think that, this is what the writer said, if you think that the congregants of Grace Life Church, the COVID restrictions defying church of west of Edmonton, are nothing but a bunch of superstitious hicks without reasons, or reason or facts, read the public statement that pops up on their homepage when you go to the church's website. He says, it's well-reasoned and well-argued, even if I think its conclusions are misplaced. I think it can be argued, as Pastor James Coates and the Grace Life community have, that a lockdown is an overreaction to the true risk of COVID. Over the past 11 months, I've made many of the same arguments as the Grace Lifers do. Many of those who test positive are young, and 99% of those affected by the virus will recover fully. Now, let me stop right there. This is a secular newspaper writing about this issue, and they're saying these things. So it's not me saying this. It's not uh, any other pastor. It's this newspaper that's writing this. It goes on to say, the average age at which someone dies of, uh, of COVID in Alberta is 82, the same as the average age of death in the province in non-pandemic years. Yes, 130,000 have tested positive for coronavirus, but that is under 3% of the province's population. And of, the th of that 130,000, only about 5,700 have ended up in hospital during the entire pandemic, and just over 900 have been admitted to the ICU. Then he says that this, he says, sure, that's a lot, and a lot of people have died, 1,805 as of Thursday. But we have been so focused on COVID numbers that we have become blind to the problems lockdowns create. The loss of small businesses, widespread unemployment, and other medical conditions that are going untreated, and so on. Now, that's the end of the, uh, the article. Well, that's the end of the part I'm going to read you to you. He goes on to say that he doesn't personally like the restrictions, but he says this, this is telling, they are the path the province and most of Western society is following. It is the path chosen by their duly elected officials. 
So what he's saying is, is that the government is saying that this is how we should react to the virus, and that's what we're doing. They're setting the rules based on their understanding of the virus, and that that, that is what we're doing, and that we should follow those restrictions because that's what they believe is the best for us. Now, I fully recognize that the division which exists in the broader society also exists in the church. There are Christians on both sides of the COVID-19 divide. You, we all know that. Some believe that the disease is nowhere near severe enough to justify locking down our businesses and our churches. Others believe that, that meeting, that coming together physically, meeting, is, would be in violation of their conscience considering the dangers that are from this virus. They believe that the disease is extremely dangerous and that we should com fully comply with the state by following all of their restrictions. Now, the former group argues that we're not loving our neighbors when we close the doors to the church. They argue that the spiritual health of our people is of far greater concern than our physical health. Those, these Christians argue that God commands the church, His church, to regularly gather for the purpose of worship. The latter group argues that we're not loving our neighbor. So again, it's, the, it's a love of neighbor, right? So one says we're not loving our neighbors if we don't, if we don't handle the spiritual aspects of things, if we, don't, if we don't love them by spiritually making sure that they're healthy. The other says that we're not loving them when we potentially expose them to a dangerous virus. They argue that there are other ways to shepherd the church, such as smaller gatherings or online church. Now, at this point, I should say that I understand the struggle. I understand the struggle and the concern of those who are fearful of the virus. We all know. We all know, right? I mean, it, 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 the, the virus is widespread enough that we all know people that are in our circles who have had major complications. And we, some of us have know people who have died of the virus. So, it, so there is no way, there's not, no way that we should downplay the severity of those who get the virus. In, in some cases, for sure. Um, Angie and I and the girls just heard of a, a, young, a young girl who is struggling. Not sure where she's at right now. The last I heard she was getting better, but was on the edge of death. I mean, we're talking a, a young girl that was, that's playing middle school basketball. So just a few months ago, she's playing basketball. She gets COVID. She gets better, and then, and then she ends up back in the hospital after, after getting better. And, and she's really struggling with some of the things it's doing in her body. Those things are very real. And I, I, don't want, I don't want to minimize that at any level. Now, I know that many of you, if not all of you, have wrestled in your consciences with questions of how to respond. No matter what side you're on, I'm certain that you've wrestled with those responses. And I can tell you, for me, I'm very thankful for our state's stance on the restrictions. As you know, at GBC, we're here today. We're gathering. We're here. 
Uh, Ron DeSantis, the, the governor, has, has taken a stance that, that church is essential and, and we're not going to shut down churches. And I'm very thankful. And, and we have actually here chosen to encourage masks and social distancing. I mean, we're apart in the rows and, and we wear masks during fellowship. We've chosen to do so because we, do, we, we are very thankful for the opportunity to meet. And we know that the restrictions could be far greater than we currently have. In, in our own country, states such as California has, have chosen to enforce rest, restrictions on churches and businesses. And there are other states as well. And there are more limitations in Alberta. Therefore, James Coates and the elders at Grace Life chose to stand against those regulations so that they can gather. They believe that it is, un, it is unloving to close the doors to those who desire to worship together in, cor, in a corporate setting. Now, my understanding is that they, continue to, they have continued to stream the services for those who would rather not join for conscience sake. Now, I think that's a crucial distinction. And I think that's a distinction that we've made here that we need to point out. As far as I know, Pastor Coates and the elders at Grace Life, Edmonton, are not forcing anyone to attend. They're not saying you have to attend. They're giving the opportunity, the same as we have done, they're giving the opportunity for you to stay at home and to watch online. Now, we have done the same. Albeit, we do encourage you to come, because we believe it to be safe. We believe that we have put enough precautions in place that it's safe to be here, and by God's grace and, and, our, and His blessing, we have not had any spread within the church that we know of. We've had people who have gotten COVID, but not, I don't, not that I can tell. We, I don't think that they've gotten it at the gathering. Now, obviously, we don't know 100%, but it doesn't seem as that, though that's the case. Amazingly, though, at, at Grace Life Edmonton and here, people are showing up. Uh, they're not only showing up, they're showing up in Edmonton in droves. My understanding is that there's been something of a, a revival surrounding the church. People want to come and gather. They want to be with God's people. They want to, they want to have fellowship. They want to, they want to experience the, the, the gathering. The attendance at the church is somewhere around 300. I mean, it's packed. And, and I, think that that, I think that may have drawn more attention to their situation, right? Because the, the parking lot's packed. I mean, people are there, and people know it. And so, so it's, it's drawing the attention of people on the outside, and I'm sure there have been complaints. I'm certain of it. Now, at this point, having laid out the current situation as, as I understand it, I think we need to take a step back and think critically about these things. So... Let me take a moment to help you understand why the elders at Grace Life are in meeting in defiance of the COVID-19 rules. They are convicted by Scripture that they should physically gather according to the commandment of God. They point to Scripture such as Hebrews 10, 23-25, where it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Then he says this, Verse 25, not forsaking our own gathering or our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So 
the, the, this, in this letter, the author actually is addressing persecution. There, there are those who were, because of suffering, they were denouncing, they were even denouncing Christ, and they were certainly forsaking the gathering. And so what the, the author of Hebrews is saying is that the gathering is so important that believers should continue to meet even as they face certain persecution and hardship. That's, that's how important it is. Therefore, the Grace Life elders argue that the that churches, that, that the leadership of churches must protect the gathering. Now, I want to make an important distinction. I would argue that their stance is a matter of conscience and conviction. And Romans 14 says that each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So we must, we must recognize that other Christians are fully convinced that a physical gathering is unloving because of the dangers. You see what I'm saying? There's, there are those who are fully convinced that the gathering is a command of God. And there are, uh, there are other people who are fully convinced that a physical gathering is unloving because of the dangers. I know that even some of us have wrestled with whether or not we should join the meetings. And, I under, and again, I respect that. But for the record, for the record, I personally stand firmly on the side of Pastor Coates. I firmly believe that the Bible commands Christians to gather. I firmly believe that when we gather on Sundays, brethren, when we gather on Sundays, brothers and sisters, we are approaching, we said it even this morning, we are approaching the throne of God in worship. And as such, our Sunday meetings are a dress rehearsal for when we gather around the throne in heaven. I also believe that man has been endowed certain rights by their Creator. These include the right to life, the right to work, and the right to worship. I also believe that it is the responsibility of the governments of Canada and the United States to protect those rights. And as such, and I, I don't, the, you know, somebody, you know, we don't want to get political. Actually, what we don't want to do is have be partisan. We need to be political, right? We need to know what's going on in the culture to be able to speak to it. I need to know what's going on in the culture. I need to understand the law. So, so I'm, not being I'm not being partisan, but I am being political in the sense that I want to speak to what's going on. The U.S. Constitution, including the Bill of Rights and the Canadian Charters, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, gives citizens of both countries the right to do these things. They protect those rights. This includes the right and freedom to assemble for the purpose of worship. Now, I read through the Constitution yesterday, and I'm not an expert on constitutional law, but I don't see any provision for the suspension of rights provided for in the Constitution. There's no provision for those rights to be suspended. Now, starting with several presidents back, they, begin to, they began to suspend those rights. Quietly, for the purpose of 9-11, it was done. And now, for the purpose of COVID, it is being done. But the truth is, 
the rights of the citizens in both countries to assemble for worship, and all of those rights that are listed in the Constitution should be restored with haste. Now, again, having said these things, I understand that there are differences between well-meaning Christians. Some Christians are willing to temporarily give up their rights to protect their neighbors from the virus. So the question is, how are we to reconcile these things? And that's really the meat of what I want to say today. I want to give you seven thoughts. I hope I can, I'm going to try to quickly work through these about how to biblically approach this situation no matter what side you're on. So no matter how you're sitting there today, no matter which side of, of this issue you're on, I want you to think through these, these seven thoughts. I want you to think through them and understand, try to understand why that they're important for us to consider. And after that, I want us to have a time of corporate prayer. So, and as you pray, and we'll, we'll, I'll lead you, as we pray, I want you to consider these seven thoughts. So first, we must exercise Christian charity or Christian love. If you don't agree, if you don't agree with the Grace Life elders, you should recognize that they are believers who are following their conscience and conviction. In 1 Corinthians 13, Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. And it says this in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Church, it is fine. It is, it is perfectly, you are perfectly free to disagree with other believers. The question is how you express that disagreement. Some of you may believe, and I'll find out I'm sure, that, that Grace Life went too far. That they took a stand far too early. Some of you may believe that they were right to make that stand. Brothers and sisters, we need to show Christian love toward those on each side of the divide. Lest the divide become an uncrossable chasm. Lest it become uncrossable. Two, we must weep with those who weep. That's Romans 12, 14-16. Let me read it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And that is, that is an incredibly important part of this, of this passage. That, that we're not only to weep with those who weep, but we're not to be wise in our own est estimation. We're not to sit back and say, well, he should have known better. If he had just done this, then it wouldn't have come out that way. I am personally fully convinced that James Coates is following, and his elders, they are following conscience by opening the church building for worship. He is convinced 
that healthy Christian congregations commit themselves to the physical gathering. As such, he was willing to take a stand against the government mandates at the risk of fines and arrest. This week, as I mentioned earlier, he was, he was arrested and he was carried off in hand and ankle cuffs and he was detained in isolation. His wife and kids are not allowed to see him. In, in a message, his wife said the following, The inhumanity of my husband in chains, while I could not find him or get to him, broke me. To think he stood alone when we were trying to get to him was almost too much for me until I remembered the one who loves him more than I ever could was standing with him. End quote. Friends, no matter where you stand on the COVID issue, you should weep with your brother, with his dear family and his church. Three, we must remember our brother in chains even if we disagree with the stand that he took. This is similar to the last one, but I think it bore mentioning. It says in Hebrews 13, 3, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you, are, you yourselves are also in the body. And the writer of Hebrews, again, he's exhorting his readers never to forget those who had been imprisoned and those who had been ill-treated. Now, specifically in Hebrews, I would argue that it's because of specific persecution that these people have been imprisoned, that they're, they're now in, in chains. But I think that clearly... The, the writer of Hebrews wants us to, to understand we need to remember those who are suffering in those ways. Because we ourselves are in the body. Now here's the way, the way I take that. You may not agree. Let me, just, let me slow down real quick and say this very clearly. You may not agree with your brother on every point of doctrine. You may not agree on every step that that man took. But you are part of the body, and he is part of the body. He is a brother in Christ. Therefore, we should remember him. And here's something else. We should remember that it may be us in the future. Very well could be us in the future. Fourth, we must refrain from harsh judgment and recognize that these brothers are operating out of conscience and conviction. Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In this past week, I've seen Christians on social media throw the proverbial penalty flag on James Coates. They declare, I would argue self-righteously, that this situation does not rise to the level of persecution, that he didn't technically need to gather as the body of Christ. Uh, they, these people are working to ensure that believers, and by the way, unbelievers alike, know that Pastor Coates and the elders are being disingenuous. I would argue that they're thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. Again, no matter where you stand, you should allow that he may be right about this. And at some point, as I said earlier, 
at some point in the future, you may be forced to make a stand as well. And if that happens, you're going to be very thankful that he took a stand where he did. You're going to be very thankful that he, was, he had the courage to do so. So instead of harshly judging your brother, we should at least applaud his willingness to stand firmly and courageously on his convictions. Just this past week, I had a Christian tell me that Pastor Coates deserved to be jailed for his actions. That is uncharitable and is regrettable. It's regrettable because persecution and suffering are... Let, let, me, let me slow down again. I, I'm running out of time. I, I know I am. That's the tough part about this. It's regrettable because persecution and suffering are always always enabled by those who have called us friend or brother. That is the story of James. The, the epistle of James. That's the story. It's the, it's the so-called brothers who are giving people over, giving them over to, to persecution. Time will tell whether James took the right stand. But at the very least, we should grieve that a Christian pastor has been arrested for unlawful assembly in the United States or in Canada. Again, in Romans 14, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One, day, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike, but each person must be fully convinced in his mind. Number five, we must recognize that while we may not have taken the same stand, courageous men have always been willing to stand alone. Let me make sure you understand this. Just because a man shows the courage to stand alone doesn't make him wrong. Several men in Scripture took stands that were not popular and even left them totally alone. The, the Old Testament prophets are a great example. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they all stood firm. John the Baptist stood alone when Herod had him beheaded. And remember that Jesus called him the greatest man to ever live. Stephen stood alone when he was stoned. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. At my defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Now, let me make sure you understand. No one is saying that James Coates' situation has risen to those levels. But we must recognize that persecution always has a starting point. Like I said, time will tell whether James took the right stand but if he did if there are those who in the government who aim to step up persecution toward the church then future generations will stand and bless him sixth we must recognize that our enemy will gain his foothold in the church through division let me say that again we must recognize that satan will gain his foothold in the church through division. Now, this truth has been on my heart for several years now since I preached through James. Let me read one section of James 4, and as I do, I want you to think about the current 
situation. And I'm speaking of the COVID situation in the church. The division that's out there because of it. It says this in James 4.1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it, is it not the source... Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Then he says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you will, that so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Then he says, you adulteresses. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us, but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. Let me stop right there. You get, my, you get the point. No matter what side you are on this COVID divide, he gives a greater grace. He is opposed to the proud. Don't be proud. Whether you are for the physical gathering or whether you are against it, don't be proud. Understand that you may be wrong. He says then, submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and enjoy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of God or the Lord and, and He will exalt you. Then it says this. This is really what I wanted to get to. The rest of it is great. But this is what it really... You really need to listen. This is verse 11. And again, we're, they're talking about division. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge, or who are you who judge your neighbor? Can't believe that they want to go physically gather. Don't they know how, how many people they're going to kill? I can't believe that they won't gather. Don't they know that it's, it's safe? It's fine? I mean, that's, that's what we hear, right? Especially on social media. But the, the Word of God says, who are we to judge our neighbor in that way? This leads to one final thought. You must not think that the given reasons for persecution will always be preaching the gospel. You must not think that the given reasons for persecution will always be preaching the gospel. Many have said that Pastor Coach can preach if he doesn't break the current rules for assembly. He can preach online. He can preach in smaller gatherings. Therefore, this situation does not rise to the level of persecution. They say that he has not been jailed for preaching the gospel, but for disobeying government mandates, which have been put in place for the safety of the people. He can pastor his church if he does it according to government regulations. I should remind you, and we talked about this this morning in the men's group, I should remind you that Pastor Wang Yi has been jailed in China 
for nine years as a sentence, I think, for inciting to subvert state power and illegal business operations. That's the official reason he's in jail. According to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, any Christian can worship in a state-approved church. Any unapproved church in China is illegal. Now, if you use the same logic, then Pastor Wang Yi has been lawfully jailed for not, preach, not for preaching the gospel, but for not having CCP approval. You get the point? If, if, if you use that same logic, the reason why Pastor Yi is in jail is not because he preached the gospel, but it's because he didn't get Chinese Communist Party approval. Again, his point is, is that Christ is the head of the church, not Caesar. We need to praise God for pastors who courageously stand up and act like men. We need to praise God for pastors who courageously stand up and act like men. We ought to be fervently praying for them. And we need to be careful how we consider these things. And one, one last thing before we go to prayer. This is not the last. As a matter of fact, I read last night that there's another church in Calgary, same province, another church in Calgary, that Fairview Baptist Church, if you want to look at it, that's being told the same thing as the church in Edmonton. The pastor is standing firm and has said he's going to continue to meet. My understanding is they will meet today. So he could very well be arrested as well. Time will tell, right? But this isn't the last. And I'm extremely concerned about the direction of these things, but let me say, <coughs> let me say this. I'm not despairing. I'm not despairing. If this situation continues to worsen, I'm not despairing. And I don't want you to despair as well either. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what treasure he's talking about? The treasure of the gospel so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Beloved, I'm confident in our Lord that as we face this test, the Lord will pr protect us and deliver us from the enemy. I'll leave you with this last encouragement. It's from Peter. 1 Peter 5, 8, I think it is. I didn't write it down for some reason. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, 
and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Lord, Lord, you've um, impressed upon my heart the need to address these situations. The division caused by COVID, the reaction of the state, the difficulties that we may be facing. My Lord, it's COVID today, but we don't know what the next, the next reason is going to be. But in any case, no matter what it is, as Lisa prayed earlier, just a a moment ago, Lord, I pray that it would revive our hearts, that that we would, it would drive us to your word, that it would drive us to your breast, that we would desire you above all things. Father, I pray that, that we would do so in this church, and I pray that that would be the case in your church, uh, the church universal. Father, we praise you. We stand with those who are being persecuted today. We stand with those who are imprisoned for the gospel. Father, we weep with those who weep. We don't want to be haughty in mind, but be lowly in spirit. And we would be humble, contrite. We would be loving, gracious. We would critically think through according to your word and respond according to your word. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.